everybody. Welcome back into Locked On Suns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today is our host, Evan Sider. I'm joined by co-host Brendan Clean, And we have a very special guest for you guys. It is his third straight summer doing this, so I appreciate him making this a yearly appearance now. Jonathan Trucks of The Ringer. How you doing today, John? I'm good. I feel like um, some of the optimism in these last couple calls probably seems misplaced now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I can, I can definitely agree with that there. Um, let me ask you this. Just We're going to kick things off here. We're going to start off with draft talk, then free agents, and then close more just with expectations and your thoughts for next season overall, John. But let's start off with the Suns and just what they did on draft night because I don't know if you've really spent a lot of time with this with KOT talking about it or Danny Chow on the ringer. Cam Johnson, what was your thoughts on that pick at 11? Is it still stunning to you that they didn't go Brandon Clark at 11? What what's surprised you about the Suns on draft night? Because they obviously did a lot of moves there. I mean, it's not surprising to me. So I was higher on Cam than a lot of people. I mean, 11 is pretty high. I kind of thought Cam and um, Nikhail Alexander-Walker, I like both of them. And obviously he went 18, so 11 is high for Cam. I thought Cam's good. My suspicion is that Cam was like the anti-Josh Jackson pick. So, you know, y'all, y'all follow the NFL? Oh, yeah. absolutely, yeah. So, you know, in the NFL, like when you have a player's coach, you always swing back the other way and you bring in like a super disciplinarian coach. It's like that seesaw. Sure. I feel like I feel like with Cam, they're like, okay, Josh Jackson, very young, very immature, poor shooter. That really blew up on our face. Well, we need certainty. We got to get guys who for sure can play around Devin Booker. Let's get an older guy, very mature. I mean, freaking Cam is like 23 or something, 24. <laughs> Yeah. And who can really shoot it, right? I feel yeah, like he's like the opposite of Josh Jackson in like every facet, basically. They're like, if this Josh Jackson thing didn't work, well, we're going to do the anti-Josh, and we know this should work to at least to some degree. I feel like it was very much – I feel like with McDonough, they were always taking really low-floor, high-ceiling guys. Cam feels very much like a high-floor, low-ceiling guy, but the opposite. What do you think is his ceiling? Like, what do you think is is a reasonable expectation for a guy like that, knowing that he's not crazy athletic, he's not necessarily like a, a defensive stopper, but he has a lot of offensive skill. He's a super smart guy. What do you think he can get to in the NBA? I have to go look at some, like, comparisons. But to me, what I'm interested in by Cam, I think Cam can be a volume three-point shooter. He's kind of like, like Michaela Bridges in a sense. He's probably a better shooter than Mikhail, worst defender, but – the idea should be, if I'm going to play Cam Johnson, he should be able to take seven, eight threes consistently in a game because he's not just a spot-up shooter. Like, I think the one, people, the one thing people don't realize about Cam is he can shoot off movement too. He was really, really good at UNC at moving without the ball, getting those shots, playing off Kobe White. So I think if you have Cam out there, he's getting up a lot of threes, and you're hoping – and the thing is, like, most guys who can get up that many threes can't guard, and Cam can probably guard well enough to stay on the floor. So, like, sure. he's not going to be, like, you know, a lockdown, like a prime Trevor Reza or something. But I think he can defend enough to stay on the floor and shoot eight or, eight or nine threes in a game. So, I think that's a very valuable player in the right system, right? Because he's – I mean, you know, Phoenix is, like, a perfect example. They've never had spacing around Booker. Cam's going to give you that spacing without killing your defense. That's who he is. That's what you're drafting him to be. And I think, I think that's a fairly safe bet, especially given his size, like, Cam's legit 6'8", 6'9". He can really shoot it. I think that's a valuable player, but it has to be in the right system, in the right role, 
You know what I mean? Like, you can't, you can't ask him to be a shot creator off the dribble. That's not going to work. John, do you think that Cam is more of a 2-3 two, two, or 3-4? I mean, nowadays you can do almost anything with the wings, but it feels like with Cam's lack of mobility or just his his, his stiff hips a little bit, I, I kind of feel like maybe running around screens like J.J. Reddick did in Philly feels like a smart bet to make with him. What do you think? Well, I mean, he did it at UNC pretty well. If you look at his numbers on the off-screen shooting, it's like 98th percentile. So yeah. it helps when you're 6'8". So you don't have to necessarily – I was talking to somebody the other day about this, and they're like, well, you know, Cam doesn't get low around screen. He's 6'8". He doesn't need to create that much space to shoot. He's just so freaking tall. So to me, like, in terms of defense, yeah, I mean, he's probably an average athlete for a guy that size. But I think at 6'8", you can put him on the three pretty comfortably against most – I mean, he's going to guard LeBron James, no. But I think he can survive on defense in most nights at that three spot, playing with McHale. I mean, I'm curious to see like a Booker, McHale, Cam Johnson perimeter. I think that's very interesting. Yeah, I think so too. I think that they, and especially with locking Oubre up, which we'll talk about in the next segment oh, yeah, here. Oubre I think they too. they have they have some combinations there that, that could get pretty interesting if they are willing to, to not have Rubio on the court at, at a lot of times. But uh, moving on to the other guy that the Suns took, uh, traded up back into the first round to get Ty Jerome. What's your uh, pre-draft evaluation of him, and how do you feel like he will kind of fit into this new guard ro- rotation in Phoenix with Rubio, Booker, and it's pretty much been over in the course of the summer here. So, yeah, I mean, I can look at a depth chart. So right now, who are the guards in the roster? It's Rubio, Booker, Akobo still there. And yep. then the tied Jerome. And then Bridges, I guess, too. And that too. And they, they technically too. have Javon Carter, but I mean, I don't think he'll play too much. Yeah, I was bummed I'll trade DeAnthony Melton. I thought oh. he was pretty interesting. Same here. But um, Jerome, I feel like Jerome's kind of like Cam Johnson, too, in that he's another got good positional size, great shooter, super. I mean, he's probably smart. He's a great high IQ guy. I don't, I'm not sure about the defense. I feel like. There's a threshold for um, defense that a Cam I – don't, I don't know if Jerome's going to be in level of Cam Johnson defensively. But I, I think it's the same line of thinking as Cam Johnson in that we're getting a guy who's going to have a high floor. And if you look at, like, the draft, generally the guys who don't make it, they just can't shoot. Ty Jerome is going to shoot it. That's not a question. So I think he's going to stick in the league because he's got good size. He's going to shoot it. And he's pretty skilled for a shooter too. I'm not sure defensively he could ever guard enough to be a starter, but at what is it, 24? Is that where he went? Yeah. Somewhere on there. At that point, whatever, I guess. I think there were higher upside guys on the board when Jerome was taken, but I feel like the Suns are in this mindset now of we've got to get guys who can play. We can't afford any more strikeouts in the draft as Booker gets a little older. So I get, I get the idea of it. Let me ask you this as well. I mean, with Cam Johnson and Ty Jerome, you have two of the best players in the draft now in the Suns. What were your, in the outfield end, John, what do you think of that method that James Jones did? Just playing really two of the best years in the draft around Booker and Aiden to help him maximize their fourth season. Uh, it makes, it kind of makes sense that James Jones is the guy drafting him, right? We know with ex-players sometimes, they kind of fall in love with themselves. I, I mean, I don't know. I've never talked to James Jones. But I wonder if he's like, man, if I was in the draft now, I'd be so much better in the league than if I came in. So it's like, let me draft some guys like me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like yeah. in Dallas, for sure. I remember with Avery Johnson, it was always so obvious. And he was like rewarding guys. Scott books like this too. Where they're going to reward the veteran scrappy point guard. Because they're seeing themselves in these players. 
I feel like with Jones, it's like, I'm going to draft myself. I would have been awesome in the NBA these days. No, you're definitely not the first person to say that. Um, I think that obviously targeting shooting and I mean, and just like not only himself, but the teams he was on, like those LeBron teams, it was just, let's surround this guy with as much shooting as possible. Not that they have LeBron James in in Phoenix, but like, I don't think it's a, it's a crazy connection to make, but uh, so I wanted to ask you, so you wrote after the draft, John, about um, how some teams around the league built around their modern big men and maximize them. And I noticed that you left DeAndre Ayton out, and I was talking to Evan about it right before. I don't think I disagree with you leaving him out there because I don't necessarily think the Suns uh, operated on draft night in a way that really complimented DeAndre Ayton too much. But what do you think that they should be doing as you know going forward in the draft or with the guys they have on this roster to make life easier on DeAndre Ayton and uh, develop him into one of the guys like Carl Towns or you know, Joel Embiid or whoever they want him to be down the line. I feel you with that article I was writing, and so I talked about um, Towns, Market, and Jaron Jackson. And I think all three of those guys, their NBA future, their NBA ceiling is at the three-point line. So they're going to be guys who are like stretch bigs, especially Cat and Laurie. Like I look at them as like almost like guards who are seven feet tall. And so that ability to stretch out is where they're at the most effective. But I don't really see Aiden as that kind of player. I mean, he's got that jump shot, but I feel like Aiden's way more of a one-two dribble in the lane, dunk on you, roll the rim hard, dunk on you kind of guy, as opposed to, like, I don't think I want Aiden playing at 25 feet consistently, trying to, like, take it off the bounce. So to me, with Aiden, he has to be playing more towards the basket. So in that sense, you've got to have shooting around him. And I feel like with Aiden, it's like, the thing with him is it's very hard to find guys who can shoot and defend. So, if Aiden's going to be a guy who scores at the basket and he's shooting around him, then he's got to be a good defensive player. And that, to me, is like, that was the move when they drafted him last year. That was the, that was the, diet, the way the diet were rolled. Okay, we're going with Aiden. It's like, we're going to live and die on this guy's playing defense. And to me, you spread the floor for him, and you're like, all right, man, please play defense at some point. You know what, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, before we go on here to our next segment, though, I want to tell our listeners really quickly, if you haven't already, if you're driving to work or on the way to work around town, all I'll do is play your podcast or play device, Locked on Suns, and be right there with you for the drive home. Alrighty, Jonathan, let's dive in more to the Suns side of things for free agency, and I want to get your immediate thoughts here on Ricky Rubio. Did you like that signing, especially three years, $51 million, $17, per, $17 million per year for a guy like that? Do you like the Phoenix Dev Booker? Um, I get why they made it. Like, I would have preferred to go after someone like a Malcolm Brogdon who can play off the ball. To me, like, you're going to have to have Booker change his game. And he's he's able to make that change. Uh, I know my always son, Kevin O'Connor, he's always saying how, like, Booker can be a great off-ball player. I just don't know, like, does he want to do that? I think by drafting Rubio, I think the, up, the positives are pretty clear. Like, he gives you structure. He'll run the offense. He'll get guys open shots. He can defend. But that's going to require Booker to change the way he's played. I don't know how he feels about that. I don't know his – I don't know. Like, to me, that's the question. Is like, it's like what's like when they brought in Westbrook next to Harden. I have to assume when Harden said, I want Russ in here, he understood I have to change my game somewhat to let Russ be himself. So I'm, I don't know if they talk to Booker, and I don't know how Booker feels about that. That, to me, is the big question, is how is Booker – because Rubio's not going to change who he is at this point. 
too terribly much. He is who he is. How will Booker change to let Rubio do what he does? I don't know. Yeah, one thing we've talked about is is staggering those guys and everything, but it's just tough when you're paying somebody that much to to say we're not going to play you with our best players or you know you're going to run our bench unit. It's it's going to be an interesting. I mean, there'll be a stagger for sure, but there's there still has like to be right minutes a game when they're playing when they're playing together. So yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. I, I think uh, the other guy I wanted to get your impression on was Ubre, who we mentioned briefly in the last segment. Did you feel like he was a guy? Did Did you get to see too much of him in Phoenix last year? And did you feel like he was a guy? I did that, not. Yeah. I'm okay. Well, then, then what's what's your impression on on how he can get better? Because I mean, he he put up more numbers here, but from from your impressions, like early in his career or evaluating in the draft, like what do you think is his kind of, um, I don't know, like, like what, what kind of player can he be in this group in your mind? He can be a good player. The thing with Ubre was just the discipline. Like you watch him for five minutes and he's clearly talented, right? Great size in the wing. His shot looks really good. Very athletic. It's just the little things, the discipline, the committing on defense, you know, not make, that is a structure. Like to me with Ubre, I wonder with him, like he can get up a lot of stats in a very undisciplined system. Can he accept a smaller role and excel in that before he tries to become like Kelly Ubre superstar? That's my concern with him. And I think it's like he's still how how old is he? He's still crazy young. Yeah, he's going right? to be twenty four in December. Yeah, I mean, I think if he buys in, he can be a excellent NBA starter. Like he can be a three and D plus guy. He can always get you like 15 a game, but it's just buying in being consistent. And so, and I think that is like the idea with these Sarge Rubio moves is creating structure. So I think it could work all these pieces. It's just, will they commit to it over a two, three year process? Right. Will they let these guys grow into the same kind of roles and not keep always moving things around every four months? That, yeah. to me, is the concern. But Oubre, it was never about talent for Kelly Oubre. He's, he's very talented. Let me ask you this as well, just about Dario Sarge, if you throw him up, John. What did you think about that trade that the Suns made, and do you like his Senate game? Because obviously, Joel Embiid is going to carve his defense because he's a better defender. But I think with Sarge, you're betting a lot on Aiden to take a lead defensively. Yeah, all these guys. I mean, with Sarge, Cam Johnson, Ty Jerome. So the starting lineup, is it going to be Rubio, Booker, Ubre, Saric, Aiton? Is that kind of what it seems like? Yeah, that's I'm our best guess right now. And then off the bench, that leaves you Baines, Johnson, Bridges. Who am I forgetting? Uh, Tyler Johnson could be your third guard off the bench, too. Okay, so Tyler Johnson. So, like, your second unit, quote-unquote, is Tyler Johnson, Ty Jerome. Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, Aaron Baines. And there's Frank Kaminsky too, right? Yeah, Kaminsky will probably play over maybe Jerome. Okay, so then it would be like Baines, Kaminsky, Bridges, Johnson, Johnson? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it all makes sense. Like the pieces, then with Sarge, then it's like, so then do you have enough shooting? So Rubio, bad shooter. Booker, obviously a good shooter. Uber inconsistent. Sarge inconsistent. Aid inconsistent. So that's the thing. Is like, will those starters the talent? There's talent in all those spots, but do they fit together well? I'm not sure. Like Sarge has got to get better. He's got to become a better shooter, better defensively too. 
it's a, t- it's a, it's a workable fit, but it's definitely not ideal. I'm curious what you thought of, uh, with the Rubio deal and, and how much they ended up having to pay him. It, it's definitely an overpay when you just look at it in a vacuum. Like that's a lot of money for Rubio, but around the league, anyone who could just handle the ball and create shots for themselves and for their teammates got a huge amount of money. What was your reaction to that guys like Rogier and Brogdon and uh, Rubio and, and everybody, Corey Joseph, even getting 11, like, it seemed like that was a, a course correction this summer where teams really valued that spot and, and paid a lot of money to get those guys in place. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're in Phoenix's position, overpaying, you got to overpay. No one wants to go play there, really. They haven't been good in forever. They won, what, like 20 games last year or something? Yeah, so 19. to me, that's the cost of doing business if you're a bad team is you're going to have to pay more in free agency for a veteran. So I don't know. I mean – Rubio, is he the perfect fit next to Booker? No, but if you're Malcolm Brogdon, you'd rather you'd probably, and you're looking purely at basketball, you'd probably rather play at Indiana and Phoenix, right? Like, that's a better, it's a better organization, more history, more established, easier transition. So you don't have first choice of free agents. So you kind of got to, like, make it work with what you have. I don't know. I mean, I'd almost, be, I'd almost have been more curious to see a Rogier Booker, but... I just think Phoenix is at the point now where they just want to be like average. They're just tired of being bad and they don't want to, they want the safe thing. I feel like a lot of moves they made this summer, they were safe moves. It was let's, let's lock into something safe as opposed to going for the big swing at defenses. Yeah, they, they definitely, uh, they definitely, I think wanted Rozier too, but it, it got, it got 19 million is a little insane. Alrighty. Before we uh, do our next segment, John, I want to just ask you one more thing just about Booker, though, because it seems like everything around him at this point, the spacing, all the shooting, it's setting himself up for a breakout year. I know he averaged almost 27 points per game last year, but what do you think is the the ceiling? Or do you think there's, there's a, a point where a Devin Booker breakout tour could happen next year with all the pieces not around? Do you think that's a possibility? I mean, he's already broken out. It's just a matter of they got one game. Like no, it's like he's. Re- I think he's hitting a ceiling now where the stats are what they are. He he's a dominant player, but until you start winning games, even like half your games, it's hard to quote unquote. You don't even break out. Like they just got to win games now. He has to commit to winning. He has to start moving towards like how to make my teammates better. How do I like fit my game around them, as opposed to being like how can I maximize myself, right? Like I don't think he needs to be like scoring thirty points a game. I'm not even sure it would matter if he did. Like right now, for him to break out, they got to win games, if that makes sense. No, that's a totally fair point. Before we go on to our last segment, talk a little general NBA, get your thoughts on the league and how things stand right now, I want to tell our listeners about uh, advertising on our show. If you would like to reach our audience, which anyone who lives or has been in Phoenix knows what types of people we are getting, uh, we want you to reach out. We want you to be part of this show. So if you want to hear your ad right here, Go ahead and contact us at LockedOnPHXSuns at gmail.com or the network at Locked at LockedOnPodcast.com to get more details about increasing your business. All right, John, I want to talk to you about the West uh, because it's something we say every year around this time, how crazy it is. Uh, But it feels like the bottom got pretty, uh, got a lot stronger this year as well, which is not always the case. There's, There's been some bottom feeders 
recently, but you know, Dallas, even Memphis has a fun young team. New Orleans doesn't really seem like they're, they're trying to lose at all. They're, they're getting veterans in there as well. Like, do you feel like the Suns will have even a tougher chance or any team now at the bottom of the West will, will just have a, another rough go at it? Like there's no easy night. There really is no easy night now in that conference. No, I mean, it feels like the only team that's not trying to win is Memphis, right? Yeah. Everyone else that is trying to get moving. Memphis is the only team that doesn't really, it doesn't really matter what happens this season. So I have to really, I haven't like quite broken down the conferences yet and looking at respective strengths and where teams line up. But I mean, it's definitely, there's no easy wins for sure. Um, I kind of feel like there'll be more parity. I don't, there's no, I don't think even the Clippers are not at that Golden State level. And I think Houston too will come back. So I think there'll be more compression, maybe like fewer like 21 teams, but fewer no 61 teams either. So it does feel like it's going to be very, I mean, I guess it's obvious. But Phoenix, I mean, I imagine the goal for them is, so how many wins they went last year? 19. Yeah, I mean, probably 30 wins. That'd probably be a good season, right? Oh, yeah. I think that's the goal, which would probably get you at like 13th in the West. Yeah, well, I mean, the playoffs are another thing, but like just winning more games for sure. I can't see, like, I mean, because like in Dallas, you're like, oh, we got to make the playoffs. Like, no, the Mavs won like, I don't even know, 28 games last year. Get to like 40. Like, improving by 10 wins would be an incredible accomplishment. So to me, I'm not even thinking about playoffs for either one of those teams. I know we hit on Cam Johnson a little bit, I, but Brennan and I, we were really on the Brandon Clark train, even for the Suns number six overall, because we thought he was such a good fit for them. I know you were high on Brandon Clark too. and Oh, yeah, he's, I, he's amazing. I mean, after Summer League now, I mean, we're both kind of looking at each other, just talking about how good Clark is, and it seemed like every smart NBA draft writer was talking about it. What's that to you about Clark, and how in the world do you fall to 23 or 21? Yeah, I, I just don't think NBA teams valued what he can do, and it's going to look really bad for them. I don't know, but I don't really like – it's hard for me to blame the individual team for passing on him when they all kind of passed on him, you know? So I think it's one of those things where there's a lot of things where, like, we're not – the blogs and the drafts and the writing is just not on the same level as NBA teams. And that gets undervalued sometimes. But Clark was just – that was the guy everyone who covered the draft closely loved because he's awesome. And I think he really got lucky playing in Memphis, in Memphis with a stretch big. I don't I mean, I think he'd be great anywhere, but I do think he would not have made as much sense in Phoenix as he does in Memphis because Aiden's not really a stretch big. That said, he's awesome, and he's obviously one of the steals of the draft. He isn't the steal already. I mean, I thought he was a top five pick, so I got no nothing bad to say about him. <laughs> does it surprise you that? Memphis of all teams that was not not very modern for so long and how they approached uh especially offensively um that they were able to pivot so quickly and now they're the team drafting and snagging up all these guys that draft twitter loves and these modern very modern players like Clark and Jaron and uh the rest of them Yeah, I mean they got a new front office in there, right? They got a new GM. Yeah. They got a whole new brain trust. They clearly are on uh online I mean, I think the brain trust is all in their like early 30s, so they're online all the time. <laughs> so they're like that online mentality. They're very online. <laughs> That's the, the the next competitive advantage is be on Twitter. Well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me ask you this as well, John, just because it, it seems like with the draft, even more so nowadays, 
it's just it's, it's really weird consistency as far as like the Josh Jacks of the world that are so talented that they bust out within the next year or two. But then you see guys maybe like Cam Johnson that are three or four year players that could stick around the league. You, you've covered the draft for years. What do you is your draft sense or your draft style? How you look at prospects changing slightly? How you view them because it's just so varied nowadays with how these prospects come in and come out and how they develop. Yeah, I mean shooting. I I like Josh, but I remember thinking we well, can't shoot very well. And then, well, if you can't shoot, it's just you're at such disadvantage. And I mean, if you look at this year's draft, Ty Jerome, even like a Dylan Windler, went 26, shooting. Like your floor in the NBA these days, if you're not a center, is like your shooting ability. And if you're not a good shooter, I don't know. Like it's very hard to gamble on guys who can't shoot because it doesn't always work. And, like, you really got to shoot. Even, like, Chris and Bender were, like, kind of okay shooters, but they weren't great shooters. And it's just – if you cannot shoot threes at a high level, you're at a huge disadvantage. And I just think it's going to get more like that. I I remember talking to a GM, or a, he was telling me, like, in five, ten years, like, we'll all be playing like the Rockets in terms of the number of threes they put up. So if everyone's putting up, like, 45, 50 threes, then you're looking at your rotation, like, how many threes can this guy give me? And if this guy's not giving you like six, seven, eight threes, he better be doing something really, really, really good. And on top of that, you can only have one or two of those guys not giving you those threes. And that's the really tough, tough part with the draft. It's like there are a lot of guys who can't shoot who can still work, but they've got to be like the one non-shooter in your rotation, right? You can't start stacking non-shooters or it's not going to work. So it's like it's like Aiden, right? Aiden's, I wouldn't say he's a non-shooter, but once you drafted Aiden, it's like everyone else I draft has got to be a shooter. And so that I think that part is kind of tricky, especially like with a guy like Brandon Clark, because he's, really I mean, he's not really a shooter either. It's like that's my one non-shooter. Everyone else better be able to shoot. So everything being equal, the tie pretty much always goes to the shooter now because of the flexibility it gives you going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think, Evan, I think we can end there. That was an awesome answer. I don't have anything else to you. No, yeah, I was going to have one more question for you. Just Go for a it. Big, big picture closing things out. How high do you think the ceiling is for this team, John, with the Suns? Because you have Booker, you have Aiden, you have Mikhail Bridges, you have Oubre. You have all these shooting ancillary pieces like Kim Johnson, Ty Jerome. Do you think this team has the upside within the next two or three years to really take a big jump and maybe be a sustainable contender? DeAndre Aiden, man. It's all on him. Yeah. I don't know. Like, how much will he commit to playing defense? Like, I think it's going to be a straight correlation, right? If DeAndre Aiden becomes a great defensive player, this is going to be a great team. If he tops out, like, at the Marcus Cousins level defensive player, it's going to be an average team. To me, that's – I don't know. Like, and the thing with talking with Aiden is he obviously has all the physical tools in the world to be great defensively, right? Like, you watch him for two minutes. Oh, my God. This guy's an incredible athlete. It's little things, really commit to – I think Aaron Baines could help him some. But at the same time, like, Aaron Baines backed up Andre Drummond, and Drummond never really – I'd say he's probably an average defender now. And it's the same thing. Look at the Detroit Pistons. They're an average team. To me, it's just all on DeAndre Ayton. How much defense is he going to play? When they drafted him last year, that was the move. That will define the next 10 years of this franchise. And I don't know. Like, he seems like a funny guy. He's like a nice guy. How hard he wants to work, how much he wants to commit to playing defense. It's not very glamorous work. It's hard, especially for a center. 
to me, that's that is the question. I think the, the ceiling is really high. If he, it's all about him. Absolutely. This is really good stuff, John, and a really fun conversation. If you haven't already, go follow him on Twitter. And if you haven't already as well, go subscribe to his work over on The Ringer. And he also has the Corner 3 podcast with Kevin O'Connor and Danny Chow, which is a great one. So, John, thanks again for coming on and doing this. Really appreciate it. Yeah, and sorry to your listeners. I, I'm at my gym right now. There might have been a little noise, so sorry about that. No, 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 no problem. problem.